Welcome to episode 59 of Keep the Kayfabe. I'm Mike, sitting here with my boys, ready to talk some wrestling. We are coming off a phenomenal weekend, participating at Crusher Fest, happening down in South Milwaukee this past weekend. Uh, The boys and I did a live sit-down with living legends Greg Gagne, Jim Brunzel, and the director of Crusher Fest, Peggy Clark. And we were so lucky um, to sit down with them and have a great chat. We got some great stories to share with you. But before we get to that, let's get acclimated with the boys real quick. Over in Glendale, somebody who keeps it regal, Steve Grobschmidt. How are you, Grubby? Hey, yo. The pleasure is all yours, Chico. (laughs) (laughs) It sure is. Good to see you, Steve. Thanks for joining us here tonight. Let's cruise down to Bayview real quick. Talk to my guy who keeps it freshly squeezed, Mr. Matt Michelson. How are you, Matt? Oh, yeah. Keep the kayfabe. Yeah. Oh, he's feeling good tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Love to hear it. And uh, we don't have one member of uh, our team with us tonight, Charlie Michael. He has another underwear modeling gig to attend to. So it's just going to be us three tonight. Uh, But yeah, let's get to this great interview that we have with Peggy Clark, Jim Brunzel, and Greg Gagne. What up, what up? Welcome to a very special episode of Keep the Kayfabe. I'm Mike, sitting here with my boys and some awesome guests here at Crusher Fest in South Milwaukee. Let's hear it, guys. Thanks for coming out the show. All right, as I mentioned, we got some awesome guests with us here today. We have the director, Peggy Clark, of Crusher Fest. Thank you, Peggy, for joining us. But also, we have Greg Gagne and Jim Brunzel, living legends, professional wrestlers. Thank you, uh, gentlemen, so much for being here. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. It's a real honor. Thank you, guys. And Peggy, please, can you tell us how uh, Crusher Fest came about and what was the idea behind setting this all up? Yeah, so the interesting thing is, two doors down on Milwaukee Avenue, we were out. I'm an alderman in South Milwaukee. We were out after our December meeting, and um, we had a new city attorney, big wrestling fan, none of us knew that. And he said, hey, what would you think if I did a bronze statue of the Crusher, like the Fonz? And I'm like, oh my God, I would love that. Like. That was part of my childhood. Well, everyone thought we were crazy. Everyone thought he was crazy. And so he set up a Facebook page. And three months later, we had over $50,000. He thought it was going to take years, and it would be his legacy. He's like, so when I'm done being a lawyer, then hopefully I'll have enough money to kick in, and then we can have the statue. So three months later. So then what happened was we raised $17,000 more than the statue. So we said, hey. Let's have a festival. So voila, here we are. That's incredible. Yeah, I mean, obviously the man of the hour for this whole thing is the Crusher. Absolutely. And um, I mean, this is, I guess, an open question for everybody. What did the Crusher mean to you? Well, I, I think growing up, uh, watching the AWA, everybody knew who the Crusher was. I mean, he, he was uh, 
so bold and his character was so uh, incredibly associated with Milwaukee, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, I became real good friends with him. And he was a, he's just, many people don't realize this, but he was a very sensitive guy. He loved his family very much and he was always on guard uh, you know, it's his part as a professional wrestler to protect himself in the business. And that was his key goal. And, uh, you know, he, he's a legend. Great guy, too. Most right? of the time, he was a great guy. <laughs> <laughs> no, Crusher was a lot of fun. He was a inspiration. I remember back, I had a match where I took Crusher for my partner in Milwaukee against Bockwinkle and Bobby Heenan. And... Uh, during the interview, Marty Neal was doing the interview, and all of a sudden, Crusher turned and laid a forearm on, on me, and I went right out of the camera and hit the floor, and he didn't think I'd hit him back, but I got a shot in on him. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's one of my good memories, and then there was a lot of great Crusher stories. And uh, No, it was uh, Crusher and the Mad Dog wrestling in a cage match <laughs> in the Mecca. Nice. And uh, Jim and I had finished our match, and up in the Mecca, the locker rooms are all separated. We're walking down the hall, and Crusher Madda got this cage match coming up, and we see Crusher in the locker room, pint of whiskey, whoosh, down it goes. So we walked down a little farther, there's Mad Dog, pint of whiskey, down it went. We looked at each other and said, we better go down and watch this baby. <laughs> they didn't like each other. Oh. And Mad Dog went out and got in the ring, and he's doing his jumping around and all that, and the cage is up. And here comes the crusher down, and the people are going crazy. And he goes to step into the, into the uh, ring, and Mad Dog slammed the door on his head, and that big steel bar in the middle hit him right in the forehead, Ooh. busted him open, and Mad Dog started just beating the crap out of him. <laughs> and now they locked the door, and the fans, you know, he was so established here in Milwaukee, and he was just a, he was a hero. The people started climbing the cage to get in and help him. And Mad Dog saw this, and he looked up, and he took off running, and he had hit one rope, and the people go flying off. People in the third and fourth row were catching him. Then he'd run to the other side. They're flying off. Then the all four corners he hit, and people flying off this cage. <laughs> well, we were we were laughing our tails off up there watching this thing. But, uh, you know, that's what he meant to the city of Milwaukee. Yeah. You know, it, different, so much different wrestling today. Uh, when we wrestled, the personalities people either got into your personality and liked you or they got into your personality and didn't like you and they emotionally got attached to you but there's there's no to me there's no emotion in wrestling anymore uh it's just uh they don't learn how to put on holds or get out of holds they don't know submission holds it's boom 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 and i don't know how the people can actually follow it or really even get into a personality so. I, I think he really hit on exactly kind of why the Crusher is important to us and, and them. You know, they're real. You know, it was real. And you really felt invested in what they were doing. And for me, I was one of 40-some cousins. My grandparents were very poor. They couldn't take all of us anywhere, so was wrestling. You know, we would gather, and my grandpa was a sheriff. And I actually, I think you guys wrestled out in Waukesha oh, at the yeah. arena, and I was there. And, you know, they were reachable. You know, that was the thing. And, and from being here with them this weekend, i probably going to cry when they leave because <laughs> they just, it became real instantly mm -hmm. because they're not fake. Like, that's the difference. Like, they are 
every person they talked to, they were like invested in them. And it was just, it was amazing to watch. This has been an honor. That's great. Thank you, Peggy. Jim, did you uh, wrestle with the Crusher? I mean, are there any matches that came to mind? You know, I can't really think of any that that I was in a team. I don't know if we were in a six-man team or tag or what, but I I was, you know, ever-present in a lot of his matches. And, um, you know, I traveled with him. And he was, you know, he, he was the Crusher, you know, 24 hours a day. And he lived that life, and and uh, he treated everybody with respect, and, you know, both fans and uh, different personalities, and he, he was just, you know, an all-around great guy, you know. And it it's funny because you know times change just like that. You know? Oh sure. I mean, all of a sudden, you know, uh, Greg and I were young kids in the locker room, and. And now, you know, we're in our 70s, and, and, and we're looking at some of these wrestlers and thinking, holy Jesus. What else do I won't, you I won't say what I'm going to say after that. I, but there's, you know, the problem, the problem with wrestling today in watching TV is there's no real story being told, and everybody wants to be strong because they think if they're strong, people are going to like them. And the problem is that if both teams are strong or both individuals are strong you're not going to get through to the the audience that you're trying to draw to you know and then you know you, you, you take a, a guy like Bobby Heenan you know I mean honestly God that people hated they loved to hate him and he just you know he was incredible he was a genius at what he did yeah. and a lot of people you know they hated him and uh, they loved to hate him and you know uh, he was by far the greatest personality of my career all the way around. Right. I mean, he was he was so sharp like that. I mean, uh, telling one story, I remember he used to drink quite a bit. And um, <laughs> we came back from Denver one time, and, and Bobby had about two or three wrestlers that he, you know, managed. So Vern and Wally were going through the, the TV and Bobby leaned over their shoulder like that to see where his guys were positioned in the, you know, telecast. So he's leaning over there, and Vern looked up at him, and he says, Heenan, you've been drinking it. Bobby looked at him, <laughs> Bobby looked at him and he says, you can't smell vodka, and he walked away. <laughs> uh, he was an exceptional personality, and he was the same in the ring as he was out of the ring. Uh, out of the ring... We're going to. He was. They were telling the story at the airport that uh, they were going to Japan. Uh, it was Bobby, Nick Bockwinkel, Ray Stevens, and what Bobby used to do when he'd get to the airport, he'd have Bockwinkel and Stevens push him in a wheelchair, <laughs> so they'd get down to the gate so they yeah. could get on early. So in Japan, they either had you in first class or business class, and this time they were in business class. And Bobby wanted to get up in first class. So here's how the story went. They push him down. They ask for who wants to get on early, needs help. Here comes Heenan, Bockwinkle, and Stevens. They roll him down to the cart. And he gets out of the cart, and he says, well, guys, thank you very much. And then he trips himself and does a flip into the airplane. Well, the pilots jump out of the cockpit. The flight attendants run over to him. They pick him. Oh, my back, my back, my back. Well, what can we do for you? Oh, I think you could put, if you could put us up first class, it would be great. <laughs> so 
So sure enough, the three of them got up first class. So I hope I can tell we got some ladies out there, but I'll tell the story anyhow. So go ahead. Are you sure? They're liberated. Right. So Bobby tells the story. He says, you know, my boys, you know, I got I make sure, you know, we got these big matches in Japan. We have to get them fed. So in case we're sleeping or something, just, you know, pull up the tray and wake us up or whatever we have to do. Flight attendant says, okay. So a little later, here comes the flight attendant with the meals, and there's Bobby sound asleep, and he's got the newspaper over his lap and the, uh, and the, and the table down. So the lady pulls the table up. She pulls the newspaper off, and Bobby had his zipper open and his thing hanging out. And she laid out this big scream through the whole airplane, <laughs> and then he's jumping up. Oh, gee, oh, oh, man, I'm so sorry. Oh, my God, how did that happen? Like it was an accident. Yeah, it was an accident. <laughs> so a little later, he, he calls the flight attendant. He says, you know, I want to really apologize to you. Uh, I fell asleep, and I don't know how that happened. But uh, And she says, oh, it's okay, Mr. Hina. We under, you're okay. And he said, would you do me a favor? He said, would you... We have a friend in the back, a Japanese uh, fellow. It's his birthday, Mr. Oki Chimpo. Would you wish him a happy birthday? So she gets on the deal. And she said, "I'd like to wish Mr. Oki Chimpo, uh, Chimpo, Chimpo from uh, Bobby Heenan a happy birthday." And all the Japanese in the back of the plane are laughing their butts off. Oki Chimpo meant large Johnson. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's the kind of stuff he did. He was a smart ass in the ring, out of the ring, on the mic. He was unbelievable. And, and as far as in the ring, uh, you know, he wasn't a great wrestler, but he gave the people what they wanted. And uh, uh, he was he was very, very talented. But Greg, that's what you said. That you were real. Yeah. I mean, that's, there, there wasn't you know, the, our personages were the same in the ring as they were out of the ring. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's just tremendous stories about all these guys, the Crusher, Mad Dog Bashan, some of the things that happened outside the ring. There's a, a right here in Milwaukee, uh, my dad and uh, Vernon Crusher wrestled a tag team match. And after the match, they went down to a local establishment with the promoter, Dennis Hilgart. And Dennis was one of the greatest wrestling promoters anywhere. He ran all of Wisconsin, uh, parts of Illinois, uh, San Francisco, Las Vegas, he put all those things together, and he was, he was unbelievable. So he's taken Crusher and Vern down to, the, to this local establishment, and there's three guys in suits standing outside. And uh, as they walk by him, the one guy says, Crusher, you're a phony. Oh, boy. And he turned and looked at him, and Dennis said, no, let's go back in. Let's just get in here, leave it go. They went back in, and Crusher got cut up that night and had a big bandage on his head. So they're in there quite a while, and they come back out, and these three guys are still there. Three guys in suits. The guy says, hey, Crusher, didn't you hear me? I think you're a phony. And that blood, and he hit him on the head, and that blood came pouring out, and Crusher grabbed him by the neck with one hand and shoved him right up the wall. And the guy was about 6'2", and he probably weighed about 220. And he was going to kill him. They had to pull him off. The guy was getting purple. And the other two made a move. And Vern decked one, and the other one backed, backed off. And the Crusher let him down. And then Dennis got him out of there. Found out there were three guys from the FBI. Oh, fuck. Yeah. 
but they never pressed any charges. <laughs> yeah, but he, the crusher, I tell you, he was so strong. I mean, one hand had the guy by the throat, and the guy weighed about 220, and up he went. So, you know, those were some things that happened outside the ring when people thought they could take you, take you on. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we're gonna get to a question shortly about modern wrestling. That, but uh, yeah, I think we're gonna get there right now. But yeah, I mean, that was a, a, a question, a question like that, or an accusation like that. Guys in that era didn't didn't take kindly to that. Whereas now everybody kind of knows, and but still, well, it's, it's a different, a different yeah. style. I mean, yeah, the AWA was the premier league. Yes, the talent in there was phenomenal. Mm -hmm. It was always the best talent in the country and we wrestled all across Canada from uh, Vancouver to Montreal from Winnipeg to st. Louis all the way to the West Coast and uh, Vern always wanted the guys to have time off so we usually got the whole month of May and the first two weeks of June off nice other places the guys are wrestling all the time yeah but uh, we were talking the other night and it was very interesting because the McMahons ran the East Coast and it was a different style of wrestling. To them, it was all big characters, personalities, and they didn't have to know how to wrestle. If you wrestled in the AWA, you had to know how to wrestle. You have to know how to get in a hold, out of a hold, and you better, you, I mean, Vern trained us six hours a day, six days a week for three and a half, four months. And we were pretty well schooled when we got out of there and could handle ourselves. So, and the difference today, and McMahon took it over, to him it's just, it's a, to me it's, it's a circus. You know, here's the whole Harlem Globetrotters coming to town. You know, and let's just entertain the people. And uh, he wants big personalities, and he's created that. He's done an excellent job doing that, but they've lost the whole concept of, to me, what professional wrestling really was back in the day. Done. Oh. Done. I'm out of here. Jim, Drop the mic. Jim, did you want to weigh in on the just modern well, wrestling I, in general? And what Vince McMahon has created. He didn't like what our wrestling represented to him. He wanted to create uh, opportunity for him to make money by promoting superstars. So all he did was put these people up. And, and Hulk Hogan, he couldn't have done it without Hulk Hogan. Sure. Hulk, Hulk Hogan was with us in the AWA right. and, and did incredible. And then when he went to the WWE, things, you know, all of a sudden, like I mentioned uh, yesterday, all the different territories, there's 26 territories, all of a sudden there's one. Right. And, and you got 60 guys uh, working three towns a night. And it constantly, nothing made any sense. Like, you know, maybe Crusher would have a match here with uh, somebody, Mad Dog, and then somebody what might interfere. And then the next card in Milwaukee, they'd have Crusher and, and a partner against Mad Dog and a partner. And Vince McMahon never did that. What he'd do is he'd, he'd bring Hulk Hogan out to the West Coast, and he'd have a, a, a decent match with somebody. And then the next time they were in California he had a totally different card nothing made any sense and it, what he wanted to do is he wanted to project superstars and that's why you saw all that incredible amount of residual you know you saw the kids with the little box you know the lunch boxes and the t-shirts mm -hmm. and the hats and you know Hulk Hogan was making fifty thousand dollars a week wow. in royalties Wow! and and he was the number one uh, Paid athlete in 1985, he made 10 million dollars. 
and in 1985 he had his a picture on the cover of Sports Illustrated right. and it said Sports Top Banana <laughs> and it was Hulk Hogan yeah and Vince couldn't have done what he did without Hulk and that's why Hulk is still you know lingering on even though he's had you know horrible surgeries and he's beat up like a son of a gun but you know he, the people still you know he's he's very much what Crusher meant you know to Milwaukee in the AWA in a, in a, a different way but he is you know to the WWE WWF and the world of wrestling yeah and I mean in his case he's a household name pop icon I mean it yeah. transcended wrestling yeah, he's absolutely something that I did want to ask because and it, it just kind of ties with like modern versus eras gone by. But the whole team challenge series that people remember that for lots of different reasons. But what, what's interesting to me, and I've heard people talk about this, is how at the time with sort of like the digitized crowd and that that seemed really crazy to people. But then you go through a pandemic where they had to do things because there was no crowds and suddenly it didn't seem so outlandish or so do you have any kind of top memories of like what you guys were going for for that well it was kind of just well look what they're doing now what did the what did the wwe just have last week a draft okay that's what we did back there it was a draft it was but it was called the 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 challenge but they drafted different guys on the on teams. teams and yeah. yeah so we were way ahead of the time with it but the people didn't quite get it at the it time. It was too out there for well, them now, at the time you know yeah. everybody's interested in the basketball draft the football draft they're into the draft. Back then, it was, you know, people weren't that into it. Uh, but uh, they're doing it now, and it's working for them. Well, just look at the social media and look how many websites are covering pro wrestling. And I mean, you go boom, boom, and all of a sudden, five of them punch up. And, you know, uh, in the morning, all of a sudden, you'll say so and so, you know, uh, fell down, and now he's in the hospital, and boom, boom, boom. The next thing you know, you know, all the different websites uh, are covering it. Yeah, and speaking of that, it's like it's interesting because just you know, I, I'm I'm in my late 40s, and I you know I grew up with the AWA. My dad, when I by the way, I told my dad yesterday who we were interviewing, and oh my God, he lit up. He was like bringing up, I was like I didn't have to do any research. He brought up so many things, like like he so was. So we super... didn't mean that much to you, and you've got us. <laughs> no, absolutely. It was your dad. Why is he Oh, I guess interview. I walked into that one, didn't I? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but I remember as a kid, it's like you you know you watched wrestling every week, whatever, and then like you'd have to wait until the next week to find out stuff. Now and then, you know, there was the nine hundred numbers in the 90s and now like you said social media it's like it's almost impossible for anything to be a surprise anymore because it's just out there and wrestlers yeah. are out there sometimes in character sometimes not on social media it's just a whole weird different dynamic than you know even 20 years ago well I've been, we've been and you talk about that and it's really interesting because I had a call about six months ago from a, a gentleman by the name of Steve Rosenthal and Steve was the first man who he worked for Drumco Toys, and he came out with the action figures of the professional wrestlers. And he first went to Vince McMahon, and he went five different times to him. Vince wanted him to change, change the contract, upfront money, this and that. So he finally got to the, the deal. He goes in there, and McMahon throws a magazine at him. He says, do you know these people? He said, yeah. He said, well, I just signed with them. It cost Steve about a hundred grand. Oof. And he came to the AWA. He got the action figures going, and we were the first ones that had the wrestling action figures on the market. And he ran it for eight years and did phenomenal. He retired. A few so six months ago, he calls me up. He said, "I've got some partners. They're all CEOs and uh, and presidents of toy companies. 
and they've been doing research. They spent 14 hours on the phone with the collectors. What do you think the collectors wanted? Old time wrestling. Mm-hmm. So that's what we're going to give them. Awesome. We're going to. They're coming out with uh, very soon with uh, dolls or uh, action figures that uh, will be starting with two men from the 50s, one from the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. They do six at a time. And then they've got other merchandise that nobody has on the market. And I think it's going to be a real hit. Because everywhere we go, they talk about old-time wrestling. They talk about the Crusher, Vern Gagne, Mad Dog Vashon, Killer Kowalski, Luthez, Hot Schmidt. You guys might not even remember some of these names. I don't. But they, they were the... <laughs> oh, you do too. I do. They were the guys that really started on the network TV in 1950 out of Chicago. And they were the ones that set all the groundwork for wrestling today. Pat O'Connor was another one on there. Tiny Mills, Kinshi Shibuya. Angelo Pafo, Randy Savage's dad. He was a... I, in fact, I remember coming to Milwaukee with my dad. I was about eight years old. And he was wrestling Angelo Pafo. And he had a... Uh, his manager, I forget what his name was, uh, but it was my first experience at it, and they had a full-fledged riot that night, and it was unbelievable. I get, I was eight years old, a little scared, but the police from the back took me in the back, but they had to control it. But you know, again, that's what these guys did. The emotion that the people got. You were either your hero or they hated you. And you don't have that too much anymore, I don't think. Well, Peggy, uh, Greg, Jim, thank you so, so much for taking time out of your day to sit here and talk wrestling with us. Peggy. Is this too boring? Are you cutting us off already? No. Hey, you want to keep I said five more minutes. You want to keep talking? No. <laughs> we're, we're kidding. We did one the other night with a guy named Barry Rose. It went two and a half hours. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I got to protect my boys. Yeah, we know your time is precious, so we feel really lucky that you guys got a chance to sit down and talk with the fans. Is there anything else you want to say to the listeners and the fans that came out this weekend? No, just all the fans who showed up for the Crusher Fest. They were fantastic. It was the greatest group of people we've been around in a long time. You know, beautiful people. Awesome. Thanks for remembering us. Right. All, All weekend, all weekend, all they kept saying was, wow, this is amazing. Wow, this is amazing. So, yeah, you guys brought it. Yeah, it's truly been an amazing event. Thank you all so much for joining us for a live taping of Keep the Kayfabe. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Podcasts. Once again, thank you so much for joining us. And a little piece of advice for everybody out there. This is our saying. Stay humble, stay hungry, and stay hard. Triple H. Triple H, baby. Keep those and you'll be just fine. All right. (laughs) We're in our 70s. But we still got it. (laughs) That's right. Awesome. All right, let's give him a big hand. Well, boys, what can we say? That was so much fun hearing about these great wrestling stories from the AWA. We feel so lucky. And we had a great crowd out there, too. So we want to thank all the people that came out to hear the interview live. What else can we say, boys? Yeah, it was, um, I mean, you know, I always j- or we joke, but it's the truth that, like, you know, Charlie and I are, like, the represent older folks on the podcast. So, like I said in the interview, I'm in my late 40s. And, I, I mean, I've told this story when we had the podcast about getting into wrestling. What was your first memory? Is I grew up with the AWA, and I, you know, like, I watched it with my dad every Sunday morning. And it's just, yeah, so 
not you know greg Gagne, i remember quite a bit and i remember you know like like a lot of stuff going on with him but jim ronzel in particular it's like not only did i grow up with him but he had a memorable run on the wwf i think he was there for like nine years as uh as part of the killer bees and then i think he was uh singles for a while i always remember him being a good i think both guys were always good guys too but uh yeah and they were good guys in person weren't they i mean they were a breeze to interview super, super engaged cool. super just you can tell those dudes just love telling stories and uh i don't know i mean we're uh modest podcasters and when you talk to people like that it makes our job easy because they just they just went with some awesome stories yeah, absolutely. I, I actually caught up with Greg a little bit after the interview, and I just wanted to thank him again for participating on the show. Because, Steve, to your point, yeah, both guys were great. Greg, Jim, if you guys are listening back to this, thank you again so much. We honestly could not be more grateful for the stories you shared. Um, really humbling experience for us. I, Unlike Steve and Charlie, I was not an AWA guy growing up. I'm a little bit younger than the rest of the podcasters, but I can tell you, after hearing some of the stories, um, I'm definitely going to go back and watch some AWA content. And actually, Mike and I were talking about this earlier today, just the sound of it. And I, I think one of the things that I really like about it is it, it adds another element of realism. And I think we heard this a couple times from Peggy Clark over the course of the podcast. And I think that's what really differentiates it from other products out there. You know, we heard from Greg and Jim talking about their experience with the WWF versus uh, the AWA. So I personally want to go back and watch some of this content. Um, for those of you new listeners who maybe haven't heard this podcast before, you probably don't recognize my voice. I was the guy sitting there on the mixing board, which I could not have had a better seat at this interview. Um, and it was kind of nice, you know, not having to actually kick back and ask questions. I was able to just kind of sit there, take in these stories and really experience what these guys had to talk about. Um, really interesting stuff. I, like I said, I've never been uh, a watcher of more vintage pro wrestling, but I can tell you just after hearing some of these stories, even it really makes me want to take a second look at it, go back, check out some of these matches. Um, we've, we have talked about this before on the show. I was a huge fan of demolition. One of the big tag teams in WWF in the early nineties, late eighties, and the killer bees had a good run feuding with demolition at one point so you know i am definitely familiar with that tag team it was super cool just to hear from jim some of his stories um yeah uh, what more is there to say right we heard so many great things in the interview just uh, again great experience uh could not be more grateful for the stories those guys shared with us i thought you know like if you're somebody that's only into modern wrestling you know you've probably heard lots of quote unquote old timers kind of bash the current product. But what, what I liked about how they answered the question to us is how it's, you know, it's sort of critical of the modern wrestling, but really it was just talking about elements that um, are timeless. And, you know, the three of us, or the four of us, when Charlie's here, we review AEW a lot. So we're obviously very much invested in modern wrestling, but, you know, you can see some of those points like, like, heels are hard to come by nowadays because you know guys do kind of want to be liked and you know, it's like adam cole is amazing but he's barely a heel because he's got a chant and you know what i mean like like people love him and it's not a, a rip on him i think he's an awesome character but it's like you know mjf is probably one of the only true heels in wrestling right now mm -hmm. so i don't know i just think the spirit of what they said was that it was just people you cared about and people you invested in and like Bobby the Brain Heenan, people would just love to hate him. And I think, yeah, it's like, there's not too many 
guys quite like that nowadays. It's different. It needs to be different. People probably wouldn't watch the old stuff, but I don't know. It's just it was interesting, and I thought the way they answered that was a nice balance of not being super negative but kind of making a point. Right. Yeah. Uh, on a, on a slightly different note, um, I do also want to just again mention Peggy Clark, the co-founder of Crusher Fest, and we just heard her talk on the interview. Peggy could not have been more nice, more helpful more willing to have us on the show, um, more willing to have us participate in Crusher Fest, I should say. And I, I really do want to extend her a huge thank you for giving us this opportunity. And, you know, even talking to Peggy off camera, outside the interview, nicest person I've talked to in quite some time. Um, and it, it's really interesting to hear her tell the stories about, you know, growing up with her family, how pro wrestling was their entertainment at the time. And, you know, how emotionally invested she was, especially in pro wrestling. And that clearly translates into her passion for this festival, because as an alderman for the city of South Milwaukee, you know, you got to step back and think for a second, uh, what makes you really want to do the work it takes to put on this festival? Because I can tell you guys, and we talked about this a little bit before we started recording, it's a lot of work to market anything at a live event. And, you know, we put a lot of time into preparing for this and obviously bringing you this content this week. But just scale that up, and that's the work Peggy has to do. Not only are there vendors and podcasts like us there, you have live wrestling as well. Um, so having to coordinate all the talent, the physical you know, ring, the seats, the tents, everything. Peggy went through a ton of work to make this happen, and we could not be more grateful, and we are really excited for Crusher Fest 2022. Yeah, thank you, Matt, for that, because I wanted to make sure to pump Peggy's tires as well. Uh, she was so nice, and we're so grateful for her invitation for us to participate the way that we did. And we are really looking forward to next year because from what it sounds like, it was a smashing success. And boys, real quick before we talk about what else happened later that night, I wanted to extend a big thank you on behalf of me to you boys. Matt, you were an amazing sound technician for this, bringing it to the fans hey, listening, to what it sounded in our headphones uh, to what fans are listening to now that interview you mixed it you did a phenomenal job so great job there and steve way to drive the bus on this i know this was kind of your era and i and i'm so happy that you got a chance to talk to these legends one-on-one uh, -on -one, and i just thought you did a phenomenal job so it was really fun for us keep the kayfabe boys to um do this all together and it was a really team effort but i just extra gold star for you both too so yeah oh thanks yeah. And uh, one more thing I do want to remember. I want to wish uh, Mr. Oki Chimpo a happy birthday. Can't forget about happy Mr. Birthday. Ha yep. Happy birthday, Mr. Oki Chimpo. Awesome. Yes. Well, Crusher Fest was a smashing success. They are going to be back again next year. Uh, and we hope we are too. Maybe we'll have our own tent and maybe have a panel going all day doing interviews where people can sit down and uh, listen to great interviews and stories while they eat the great food from the many amounts of food trucks that are there and beverages that are being poured. And let's talk about it. I mean, the beer selection there on tap was unbelievable. We got a lot of good variety from a lot of Wisconsin uh, breweries. The service was great. And uh, everybody was taken care of. Uh, even going over to the food truck district, there was probably six or seven uh, food trucks to choose from. It's only going to mm -hmm. get better from here on out. But, I mean, Matt and I and his fiance Becky, chose to hang out a little later and close down the festival. It was so awesome. We went to the music tent and actually saw a band that was a polka 
hip-hop band, Steve. Ah. I wish you would have stuck around because you would have loved it. I don't know if you're a Weird, a-, a Weird Al Yankovic fan or anything. You have to be. Oh, you got to be because he's a genius, right? Well, this dude was playing an electric uh, accordion, and then there was a dude freestyling, and then there was another dude freestyling, but he also had, like, a mask on that kind of looked like Thor with a drummer. <laughs> and these guys were, like, unbelievable. Being a proud Milwaukee and myself and being pretty up-to-date on the live music scene, I am shocked that I've never heard of these guys. I can't remember what the name, what their name was. You can look at it. They performed at 9 o'clock at the Music Fen at Crusher Fest, but it was uh, Polka Hip Hop, and my God, was it fun. It was so fun. Um, and actually, I did look up the band yesterday. For those of our listeners out there, I'll save you a few minutes. November Criminals is mm. the name of the band. Um, you can actually find them on Spotify. They do have two albums out there. Perfect great music um really interesting live and i can tell you there was anyone from you know eight-year-old kids running around jumping dancing around to 65 year old men who you know probably shouldn't be dancing to hip-hop dancing around as well so um really good music for all ages really unique as well um mike and i had an awesome time oh yeah a lot of great people watching obviously as well uh i do want to give a shout out to the beer selection mike mentioned um, that was actually part of the European Beer Gardens, which is immediately next to and actually was part of Crusher Fest for this event. So European Beer Gardens, I believe it's managed and owned by Brittany Rosales, James Moran, both South Milwaukee famous people, uh, business owners, entrepreneurs. Those two did a fantastic job making sure that everything was set up, um, really complimented Crusher Fest well. So shout out to those guys. And you know what? I participate in a lot of live events. Uh, with my own personal business, and I've been to a lot and seen a lot. But I think Crusher Fest is number one on my list now. I had so much fun, and I can't wait to be back next year. It's going to be bigger and better than ever. And thank you all for coming out and seeing us live. And uh, I hope you enjoyed the interview. Make sure you like Crusher Fest and keep an eye out for more updates. And I think we're going to have uh, Peggy back to give us some updates of what's coming up, which will be great. So mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay, so there's only one thing left here on Keep the Kayfabe, and that is promo of the week. And we're going to send it over to Steve Grobschmidt because this great promo actually hit his inbox, and he is going to share that with us now. What do we got, Steve? Yes, you're not the only one with contacts, Mike. (laughs) Um, Gary from Ohio, his good longtime buddy of mine and a regular listener of our show, uh, he made the list. And you know why he made the list? Because his submission is the list of Chris Jericho, which you're going to tee up right now for us. I mean, listen, Tom, it sounds beautiful, doesn't it? Right? What a, what a great group of, of, of friends of Jericho, Tom. I'm Mike, remember? I spent all this time learning your name, Tom, and now you tell me it's Mike. What is it? Is it Mike or Tom? What's your name? Mike. Tom. Mike. Tom. Mike. Mike. Tom. See? You don't even know your own name, Mike Tom. And you know what happens? When you don't know your own name? You know what happens when you're not even sure who you...
Scratch that, you're off the hook. You know what happens, strange, straggling strummer, when you interrupt Chris Jericho? Hmm? You know what happens, weird, wandering wayfarer, when you walk through Chris Jericho's promo? You know what happens, daffy, drifter, dandy? You just made the list! Thanks, Tom. And that is a promo. Oh my and God. I'm happy to have been the guest star promo deliverer this time. You know, earlier on the show, when we were listening to the interview from Greg and Jim, you know, we did talk a lot about modern wrestling and, you know, the emotional connection, things like that. I think if you look at the landscape of modern wrestling, Chris Jericho is one of the few individuals out there who still manages to connect with the audience on a regular basis, whether he's either a heel or a babyface. And this was actually a part of his heel run where he started to turn babyface just because he was so undeniably entertaining. And the list of Jericho is one of those things I personally will remember for a long time, even though it's only a few years old. Yeah, you're totally right, Matt. He does give that perfect blend of old school tradition, but he also has his uh, finger like on the beat of the pulse of like what's current, and he's always trying to look for that new thing to go viral, like a little bit of the bubbly, or like you just made the list, you know? <laughs> like he's always he's reinvented. He's kind of like the David Boy of wrestling. I always kind of compare him to. He's reinvented and. Um, you know, market himself in so many different ways, but always stay consistently awesome. He's one of my all-time favorites. So thank you so much for submitting that promo of the week. If you want to submit your own promo of the week, you can send it to keepthekfabe414 at gmail.com or hit us up on Instagram or Facebook. Like and subscribe to us there. Send us your promo of the week. And while you're subscribing, Subscribe to us on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Podcasts. You're going to love the show. Uh, we love you all. And thank you so much again for coming out to see us at Crusher Fest. And Steve, is there one more thing you want to add? There's absolutely one more thing that I would be remiss if I didn't say. I just actually, I wanted to dedicate this uh, episode to uh, Jerry Johannick, um, my sister-in-law's brother. Uh, he passed away a year and a half ago, and he was a huge fan of Crusher Fest. And I just remember when the first one happened a couple years ago, he was like messaging like me, like, oh, my God, you got to go to this. And, I, you know, it's a shame he couldn't have made it to the second one. But anyway, I just wanted to give him a shout out. Well, we're thinking of you, Jerry, and uh, all of you out there. Thank you so much again for uh, giving this podcast life. We look forward to the next episode. And before then, all you got to do is stay humble. Stay hungry and stay hard. Triple H. You want to stop us? You're going to have to get us. So we go right on the border of the sea. Longer than sights be. Go kind of even. Nah, man. Just different so much. So short story, long plan. But load it tight. So what it ain't business. Come get with this. The difference is the difference is ain't good to this. New model, old school, funky hip hop. Pro dudes, old Bruce, Spade, Juan, NTSC, no fools. The prison system. I'd like to rattle the cage. Why do they lock up this one?
Good shit.